Welcome to Bite-Size Battles. Rutilius Claudius Nematianus made his way from Rome back home to Toulouse in the autumn of the year 417. Seven years earlier, Alaric's Visigothic supergroup had just subjected Rome, the ancient and venerated capital of the empire, to a heinous sack. And not only this, Britain had been abandoned, Spain lost to a horde of Vandals, Alans and Suevi, and Gaul was in the hands of the usurper Constantine. It's clear that Rutilius had taken a sea voyage as he didn't yet trust the roads, and on his way he wrote an epic poem. For since the Tuscan fields, the Aurelian road, have suffered Gothic raids with sword and fire. Since woods have lost their homes, their bridges streams, better to trust with sails the uncertain sea. But this isn't a lament. It's a poem of triumph and hope. Let Rome's dire woe be blotted and forgot. Let your contempt for suffering heal your wounds. Things that refuse to sink still stronger rise, and higher from the lowest depths rebound. And as the torch reversed new strength attains, you, brighter from your fall, to heaven aspire. What was the source of this extraordinary sense of triumph and hope? The answer is that in just seven years since the sack of Rome, much of the shattered vase of the Western Roman Empire had been put back together. Usurpers had been snuffed out like errant candles, and most of the barbarian invaders of the empire had either been put in their place or witheringly crushed. Rutilius was right. The future was looking rosy. Welcome to Rome Resurgent. The remarkable turnaround in Roman fortunes can be principally traced to the rise of an experienced and brilliant Roman commander by the name of Flavius Constantius. It's likely that he had been a lieutenant of the old Generalissimo Stilicho. Shortly after the sack of Rome, Constantius ascended to the position Stilicho had enjoyed, Magister Militum, the senior general of the Roman West. His first job was to return order to the imperial court, following the turmoil surrounding Stilicho's execution in 408. He did so with military efficiency, with a dash of retribution thrown in for good measure. The chief plotter against Stilicho had been a man named Olympius, who was now clubbed to death. With that out of the way, and Constantius's own position consolidated, he moved against Rome's enemies. But which to go after first? For several years now, the still powerful army of Italy had been essentially paralysed by the existence of so many different enemies on Roman soil simultaneously. Moving against one simply exposed your rear to the others. By 411, though, 
Happy Chance had solved the problem. Immediately after Alaric had sacked Rome, he sauntered down the west coast of Italy with his jubilant and booty-heavy Visigoths. He had, of course, originally wanted the west to grant him autonomous lands close to the imperial court at Ravenna. But while that was clearly not going to happen, and simply taking somewhere in Italy would leave them constantly exposed to the Roman army there, he decided that a little relocation was in order. He, his supergroup and all their families would take ship to the rich, fertile and relatively unprotected provinces of North Africa. If he wouldn't be granted good lands of his own, he would take them, where there was less chance of being attacked later. Alaric was a smart man, and the plan may well have worked. Had it done, it would have sounded the death knell of the empire. But a well-timed storm destroyed the fleet Alaric had been gathering in Campania. And even better, from a Roman perspective, a well-timed fever took Alaric's life shortly after. Early in 411, he was buried in the riverbed of the Bucento. So Alaric's brother-in-law Atalf took over, and with North Africa now out of the question, he moved the Visigoths north into Gaul. Constantius must have been overjoyed. With all of his enemies now concentrated in the west, he could focus his energies and bring Rome's remaining resources to bear without fear of someone else kicking in the back door. So, in 411, first on his list was the pretender Constantine, who had been milling about in Gaul for four years. As it happens, smelling Constantine's blood in the water, two other usurpers in Gaul had proclaimed themselves emperor as well. Why not? But all they really achieved was to split the forces available to Constantine, and so, in short, Constantius was able to steamroll each of them in turn. Holed up at his capital at Arles, Constantine must have wondered if it had all been worth it. While it was he, rather than Stilicho, who had finally confronted the Rhine invaders in Gaul, he had only pushed them onto Spain, where they still remained. Ever since, his usurpation had meant that the Roman army had been unable to properly act against either the Rhine invaders in Spain or the Visigoths rampaging in Italy. To hasten his surrender, Constantine was offered his life and he duly accepted. But, shock, en route to Ravenna, the promise was broken and his head was placed atop a pole at the court of the Emperor Honorius. What a triumph! By now it was 413, and in just two years the Visigoths had left Italy and Constantius had wiped out no less than three usurpers. Gaul could now begin to be brought back into the empire. Or at least, most of Gaul. Because the Visigoths had planted themselves squarely in the city of Narbonne, close to the modern border with Spain. Now, Constantius trained his sights on them. In 414, 
not wanting to risk his army against Atal's supergroup, Constantius decided on a typically effective strategy. Blockade. By land and sea, he blocked all routes into Narbonne. And by early 415, food was so short that the Visigoths retreated to Spain in search of supplies. Atalf could have risked forcing Constantius to fight a set-piece battle, but by now his men were exhausted and starving, while the Romans were euphoric, buoyed by recent successes. So, with few other options left, Atalf used his trump card. When they had left Rome back in 410, the Visigoths took with them the beautiful sister of the Emperor Honorius. Galla Placidia. Later, Atalf then sensationally married her, and she gave him a son. The significance of this could not be overstated. As the Emperor Honorius had no children of his own, the Western Roman Empire now had an heir who had been fathered by a king of the Visigoths. What Atalf demanded from the Roman West was a senior position at the imperial court at Ravenna, and again, that his supergroup be settled close by. This, as before, was unacceptable to Constantius and Honorius, who wanted Galla Placidia back, but without her barbarian husband and child. Now, fate stepped in once more. Sadly, Atalf and Galla's young child died, and his grieving parents buried him in a small silver coffin in a church in Barcelona. With his trump card removed and Constantius keeping up his blockade, the starving Visigoths finally turned on their king. Atalf was killed in the coup, and soon after, a new king, Wallia, rose to power. Wallia had no interest in the now widowed and childless Galla Placidia, and sent her back to the Romans. He also gave up any demands to be settled in Italy, and agreed to a military alliance with Constantius. In return, the Visigoths were handed around two million tonnes of wheat. The sackers of Rome had been reduced, essentially, to begging for food. And now, having fed them up, Constantius set them loose on the third major problem facing the West, the Rhine invaders who had been enjoying a Spanish holiday for half a decade. Having carved up Hispania at will and divided it amongst themselves, the Vandals, Alans and Suevi had been supporting themselves with Spanish revenues and agriculture. Now, the Visigothic horde unleashed by Constantius bared their teeth and marched headlong into Spain in 416. While no specific battles survive in detail, the writer Hydatius describes what happens next. All of the siling vandals in Baetica were wiped out by King Wallia. The Alans, who were ruling over the vandals and Suevi, suffered such heavy losses at the hands of the Goths that the few survivors placed themselves under the protection of Gunderic, the king of the Hasding Vandals. The Vandals had split in two once they got to Spain, 
and one branch had now been totally annihilated. The Allens, who it seems may have previously been the dominant force among the groups, had been so savaged that their remnants had no choice but to join the surviving Vandals and their Swavy allies. By 417, almost all of Hispania had been liberated for the Roman Empire by the force which had sacked its capital just seven years earlier. The only corner left outside of Rome's control was Galicia, in the northwest of the peninsula. Here, the remains of the Rhine invaders of 406 now scurried and cowered, with their backs to the Atlantic Ocean. The scale of Constantius's success is astoundingly spectacular. The Visigoths had been subdued and turned against Rome's enemies. The usurper Constantine, who once threatened a total takeover of the empire, was dead. And both Gaul and most of Spain had been rescued from their tormentors. It seemed as if a new golden age was about to dawn, and Rome could begin rebuilding her strength. As Rutilius had said, things that refuse to sink still stronger rise. But Rome was about to need all the strength she had for a new calamity. A tsunami which would break over the weakened defences of the empire and threaten to sweep away all that Constantius had achieved. When the Goths had arrived on the Danube in 376, they had brought with them rumours of a storm of heavy fighting north of the Black Sea. That storm had driven them to seek asylum in the Roman Empire, and it then swept westwards onto the great Hungarian plain, causing huge population displacements which resulted in the massive Rhine invasion of 406. The Romans had heard of the name behind the storm, and had even worked with them in the past but now they were about to meet the men in anger. For with bow and sword they swarmed into Gaul on horseback, and they were led by the infamous Attila. Attila the Hun. Join us next time to find out how the resurgent strength of the Roman Empire contended with the awesome might of the Huns. As always, thanks for listening. See you then.